0: Video Vortex podcast respectfully acknowledges that we are recording on the lands of the Bunurong Boon Wurong and Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and we acknowledge and remind people that sovereignty was never ceded.
1: What is it that we're watching?
2: Distinguished guests, welcome to Video Vortex. Yes, it's just down there, you can't miss
0: Hello, dear listeners. Tonight, I invite you to join us here at the Video Vortex Coven, where we will be discussing that which, hint, always comes to mind at this time of year in our approach towards that sacred of nights, All Hallows Eve. That's right. Our topic of discussion for your pleasure is witches. I will most humbly serve as your High Priestess, Steph, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts who complete this benevolent circle of power and thought. Please make welcome Brother Bucks. Hello. And Brother Ben. Hi. (laughs) Yes, so we will be talking about witches, and I have absolutely no idea where to start. (laughs)
3: No, nah. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I it's had never so really broad. thought about witches no. until yeah. these last two weeks, and I didn't realize that I hadn't thought about witches because they're so present everywhere.
2: Yeah, but
3: I was like, as I dug into it, I was like, huh. I didn't exactly learn anything new, but I think just putting things together and connecting some dots, there's some really interesting stuff relating to witch. As Agreed. a figure and archetype, but mm. it's a lot.
2: <laughs> there is a lot. Yeah, it's funny because we we sort of we have this stereotypical, almost unchanging image of the witch, which is like you know, broomstick, pointy hat, warts, uh, and black dress. And mm. it's like, okay, there we go. We all we can all picture that. But then beyond that, there's just there's so much that that goes on uh, even like on a superficial level, on a symbolic level, it's uh, yeah. Endlessly fascinating.
0: Very loaded. Yeah. Very loaded Mm. with history that I think like a lot of us, we're not very familiar with it, but like you say, we know that archetype, that, that image Mm. that gets put up everywhere, especially around this time of year of like, usually it's like green skin with some warts and yeah, the very large overpronounced nose and, the, mm. the, the witchy broom and the pointed hat and yeah, black or purple, like shredded dress. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre that that's become the, the image, which I think is very loaded with cultural propagations as well.
3: Yeah. It's been the image for a good long time. Yeah. We talked about Haxon last week, and that tends to just Mm. represent them as old women, the quotation mark crone. Mm. So even in the earlier films, one of the interesting things I found out that didn't actually really put two and two together until this week was that there were a lot of representations of witches in early trick films, Um, Mm. especially Malise and such had witches in them where they were, you know, creating fanciful tricks and making things appear and disappear or do strange things. And so they were actually quite present, but they tended to be comedic, uh, mm. in tone. And so it's not really until you get to the wizard of Oz, which really locks in this dichotomy of the good and bad witch and really slams down that iconography so hard that it's just like, yeah, everything you just said is what the witch is. You know, we don't, we, even as you say that you ignore the, the good witch in her. Yep. Well, Disney, yeah. Barbie,
2: Tinkerbellness.
3: She's
0: that exact archetype that we've just described, isn't she? The
2: the bad witches, yeah.
0: The evil witch, yeah. Yep,
2: yeah, down to the like green face.
0: Yeah, right.
2: That we have, but it's interesting that we have um, sort of in the same year that The Wizard of Oz came out, we had Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and that mm-hmm. had the the evil witch, also very archetypal, but very much in uh, in the, like, old woman with a w- warty nose kind of image, whereas I feel yes, like yes, The Wizard did. of Oz was a little bit more animated and still as kind of depicted as abject and so on, but for different reasons well,
0: somehow. It's, it's interesting because in that, actually, she's only that, and let's say the crone figure, she's only that crone mm. figure for that one scene, actually, Mm. under her normal circumstance like under her normal form she is this beautiful elegant demure if evil at heart queen um Mm. and that the only part of that film that we see her in what we've been calling the traditional guise of the of the witch is when she's doing that one her one bit with the apple other than that she's Mm. beautiful
2: that's that's very
3: true does it ever define what her actual form is, or is it just kind of a liquid, uh, malleable state? She seemingly only becomes the Crone in order to, for a subterfuge. And then later, yeah. does she turn yeah. into a dragon?
0: Sleeping Beauty has the dragon.
3: And yeah, of course, and then at least a Maleficent.
0: Yes, which I'm sure we'll get onto later. <laughs>
3: Ooh, it's so wibbly wobbly. I, I was I briefly looked at all of the witch films of the 80s. Mm. And then just went, no, <laughs>
1: they're
3: too hard because <laughs> there's like witch board and there's like seven or six or five witchboard board films. And then there's all the uh, witch story, witchcraft, witch house. There's all these Italian films that have witch in the title mm. and some of them are witchy films. Some of them are kind of exorcist possession kind of things. And they just there's such a like it was just, it's like watching, um, it's like watching uh, the 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 rotating parts of a lock click backwards and forwards together, and it's just <laughs> all these little moving pieces of taking little tiny bits and odds and ends. It's such a malleable. Make it makes sense for her to have no fixed form in. Snow White and the, the Seven Dwarves or even in, you know, any of the Disney films because in our culture, the witch has constantly shifted and taken on different forms and meanings depending on who's wielding it, who's discussing it, the context, the era, the socio-political climate. It just keeps shifting and changing around so much that it's... I, I don't know that there's there's any other iconic horror quotation marks monster that is so sort of fixed but yet so fluid and malleable vampires yeah but vampires are still just it's minor tweaks for the most part you could put a a spectrum of witches down and i bet that from one end to the other they would be pretty significantly different whereas Mm. in cinema i'm talking about whereas vampires in cinema tend to hold to a pretty consistent form um, I mean, I'm trying to remember the strain. I think, you know, in that TV, I think strain is one of the ones that goes sort of Brian Lumley uh necromancery kind of blobby parasite weirdness. But even so, that's about as outre as it gets. Whereas witches, it's... Even when they have a monstrous to them, as I said, the, the, the dragon is not necessarily represented as her final form. A mm. couple of films I watched were kind of borderline... And then a couple were like, oh, no, this is a Satanist film.
0: Yeah.
2: That's interesting that you mentioned that because there's <laughs> that's that's one of the things that, you know, one of the things that has contributed to such a varied form is the varied roots of mm. of the witch, which ha, the witch, which <laughs> that's going to happen a lot. Yeah. The, the, that have coalesced into this kind of recognizable cultural figure. But, you know, of course, we've got... Uh, the witch as connected to Satan and Satanism, which is, you know, more of a a Christian viewpoint, I suppose, of the witch. And that's created this kind of association between witches and Satanism. But then, of course, you have the completely unrelated, non-satanic form of the witch- stemming mostly from, you know, the more natural kind of earthly and earth goddess kind of stuff. And even thinking back to like the witches in Macbeth who who worship Hecate rather than Satan, for example. So completely rooted in totally different traditions. Um, And yet it's all come to sort of sit within this uh, Western Christian framework of non-Christian, I suppose. Whatever whatever the guys that may be, it's just antithetical to the standing of Christianity.
0: Yeah, and I think you've landed on a very, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go on, but a very central concept of the witch is that although we are all Instantaneously familiar with that archetype. There's an incredible amount of power and allure from the undefined form of the witch. Like you mentioned, the, the witch from, from Snow White. We don't know what her actual form is. We don't know if she's, if she is human and the other, uh, forms are, are the ones that she chooses to change into. And I think with most films that there is some element of a witch or witchcraft, let's say. It's very rare that it's really in-depthly identified and described or explored. I think quite often the power comes from the lack of definition.
1: Mm,
2: definitely. And I think if you're looking at it through the 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 framework of the witch as a kind of antagonistic being, which uh, a lot of, if we're talking about cinema, a lot of cinema has portrayed witches as as this sort of antagonistic being, of course, you know, a malevolent force, again, viewed through this Christian lens. And again, with the links to Satanism of having a- any number of disguises and so blending in with the normal folk and, and all that sort of thing, which is quite fascinating when you think of them as so uh fundamentally othered
0: Hmm. well that's that's exactly it they're they're completely other because they have a power that we can't really as as the the sort of the non-believer we don't comprehend and that's probably also the other reason why they that no one really bothers to within the context of a film at least Define and describe the limitations and and the origins of a witch's power because it's just it's it's something we all just have to believe because it's so Mm. unbelievable.
1: Mm, Hmm. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I I think there's there's a lot of um, I think that's why it's captured so much of the imagination of of those who depict the witch. Just because of the richness of of the forms of the meanings, obviously, d- depending on which side of the witch you're standing on, there's so much to be gleaned from how you portray it, and uh, even you know uh, you were mentioning earlier the the kind of historical ties to witches and the very very real processes that happened against. Uh, Women who were believed to be witches and how so much of that was about instilling power and instilling fear and utilising mass hysteria and fear against particular people in a society just as means of oppression and how that also feeds into all these myths and so many of the witch films have as their premise, you know, a witch is burned at the stake and then comes back to haunt... Uh, that sure. you know, the pe- the descendants of the people who put her there, and and so on and so forth, and it, it's interesting to count films like uh, you know The Passion of Joan of Arc, for example, as as a witch film, even though there's no real sense of the supernatural, so to speak. There's a a, a real sense of the plight of of this real historical. A personage of Joan of Arc who has been almost now. Well, I mean, I guess she was martyred in the name of uh, being a witch.
0: Well, and the protection of Christianity, presumably.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. I created sort of three
3: structural forms that I could i readily identify and that tend to surround narratives relating to witches, and one of those is the Witchfinder story. And um, I can't think of any that I have seen personally that actually have a supernatural aspect to them, and mm. that includes the exploitation ones. You know, there's there's the yeah, Joan of Arc, um, Drea's Joan of Arc, the uh, Dreya's Day of Wrath, um, mm. Mm. yeah, the Witchfinder General.
0: Does Van Helsing surprise? count?
3: Surprise. <laughs>
1: oh he's
0: not i, I mean really... in the in the movie he's not hunting witches but i assume that he would as a as a as the hand of whatever order it is that he's
3: i mean then he's then he's a bad dude <laughs> <laughs> i don't know well, uh but i haven't seen vin diesel's the last
2: Witch hunter or whatever it is, I can't comment
3: yeah.
0: on. Oh, that's brand Vin new, In relation to witch hunting, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There was a, another film that Vincent Price did around about the same time of which find general called Cry of the Banshee, um, where in a similar sort of position, not quite so uh, malevolent and all powerful, um, but he plays a sort of lord or baron, uh, and there's a coven of, of practicing witches out somewhere in the forest. Uh, and there's all sorts of dealings with curses and things like that. And there's very much a supernatural element to that one. Um, and also recently there was a one of the episodes of Inside Number Nine featured um, a, a witch trial. Um, and that, you know, not to give any particular spoilers, given that show is entirely hinged upon twists, but, um, <laughs> yeah, does come into play in a little moment
0: yeah i I think witches are never very far from being a story to be told because Mm. they have been you know in our consciousness for a very long time and there's nothing i think there's very little that could happen in our world that could that rules them out as a as a interesting story that can be told you just need you know Mm. a hook or a different perspective or a different conceptualization of whatever power it is that they possess.
1: Hmm.
3: The witch film has a couple of peak periods, but just before we move on from the witch finder discussion, that definitely had a peak in the 70s. And it's interesting that you mentioned that inside number nine is at that now and we have the Vin Diesel film at periods at which there, every time I hear the word witch, I'm going to, if I was more, <laughs> wasn't was so lazy, I'd make a super of <laughs> all the times We say witch <laughs> and in all the varieties. That in the seventies we have things like the Devils and Witchfinder General and Mark of the Devil, or Fantastic mm. or Kira, and
2: Blood they, on Satan's Claw very much that Blood on Satan. Well, that was when I watched on the weekend. I was like, eh, Satan, this film. Um, <laughs> split the uh, hair, but I'll split it. Yeah, I, 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 I see them as fundamentally tied in with each other. Some are, like, very much on the Satanist side because they there's almost, like, no mention of, of, of witches and witchcraft. But I think the kind of persona or the character of the woman accused of being in consort with the devil, I think that's definitely on the side of witchcraft. Yeah. The consort with the devil part, I agree. But in
3: watching a couple of these, it feels like the way to separate them out is to do with level level of uh activity so mm. i think witches are more presented more actively individualistic and performing arts on their own even if they owe them to the devil possibly mm. whereas satanists are more in a league group. and in tow yeah, yeah they tend to be more group they tend to be more offering and worshiping and more more of their energy is directed outwards to a satanic devil figure rather than themselves actualizing
1: yeah it does actually
3: tie into how the witch keeps returning in the real world as a figure of Mm. self-actualization and representation for feminism and Mm.
2: womanhood Mm. agency
3: agency yeah i think that that is an important definition and i think it does actually help i don't think it's an arbitrary alteration Uh, Especially watching Mm. Blood on Satan's Claw Like the the satanic figure is very present It's very much there Not a spoiler, that happens pretty early on (laughs) And everyone is sort of operating under him And so even though there is allusions to some witchcrafty stuff And it's definitely tied in with old school witch lore And there's a witch findery aspect to it It's still very much that Satan has come to this land And it is Satan who is doing these things rather than the witch Whereas... Yeah Something like The Witch Even though there's allusions to a satanic figure And Black Philip the goat may or may not be They're still operating independently They're still, Mm. the witches are shown independent of anything else They are more bound to the woods than they are to any figure, any liege
1: Mm.
0: It's a fine line I think to, yeah. to make And yeah. that's yeah, fair I enough agree. A line has to be made In terms of our discussions at least
3: In talking about some of the odd variations The Witchfinder thing is really interesting Because They're men
2: mm. they're, I'm pretty mm. sure
3: they're exclusively men mm. And in their own way They are in league to An evil force Exactly That they are represented as being greedy And sinful Malicious they're servants to a supposedly holy church that is abusing and destroying people. Right. Mm. Or they are slaves to their own hungers and desires. And so in that way, they can be seen as very much like a the Wizard of War, Oz, good witch, bad witch. The witch finder is actually the bad witch and the forces that work against him are the good witch. Mm. I'll just drop this quote quickly. So this is from Margot Adler, who wrote Drawing Down the Moon, one of the most significant books on witchcraft in the 20th century. Magic is a convenient word for a whole collection of technique, all of which involve the mind. In this case, we might conceive of these techniques as including the mobilisation of confidence, will, and emotion brought about by the recognition of necessity. The use of imaginative faculties, particularly the ability to visualise, in order to begin to understand how other beings function in nature so we can use this knowledge to achieve necessary ends. And I think that's a really good description of what magic can be, but it also fits with the Witchfinder generals, that that's essentially what they're doing. They're using their psychopathic knowledge of how people act and react to achieve Mm. necessary ends and orchestrating the groups against individuals. Mm. Thinking about the different uh, structural forms of which films take, I think *The Witchfinder General* is a really, even though it may not actually contain witches for the most part, it's a really important aspect of the narrative. And and just before I move on, the the other two that I thought of was that films tend to either be following the witch or following the community. So it's it's generally following for within the narrative of the person becoming the witch or being the witch or the person or persons who are being affected by the witch. And that seemed to be the main forms that all of them seem to take.
0: I really like that definition, actually, because I think the, the one that you just read out, because I think that it can mm. kind of um, still be used for those who, in our in our real world, who will identify themselves as, as Wiccan or benevolent witches or eco-witches, because that's... It sounds like it's more about talking manifestations of putting things into the universe and getting good things to come out of it of, of varying forms. So I, I think that's very, a very nice way of putting it that can apply outside of the realm of film studies as well.
3: Basically, kind of chaos magic of yeah. using the will to. I mean, even uh, Alistair Crowley's find magic as the science and art of causing change to occur in
0: conformity with will. Yeah, and I think we probably should take a moment to apologise to any practising Wiccans or of any variety because we are not experts on on that religion by any means, but um, we are trying to understand better.
2: it's <laughs> oh, right, I've already offended all the people
3: who love the 80s witchcraft
2: films, that's fine. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we have this, um, again, probably, I mean, I, I hesitate to ascribe a particularly... Judeo-Christian good versus evil kind of narrative because I I do know that that exists in many other cultures as well but um, I I find it interesting that we do still race to apply this schematic of good witch bad witch and things like that when in reality it's at its core I would argue that it's a it's a neutral. A neutral presence, and that it like men, much like any other force, you can have have it used for nefarious or benevolent purposes. Especially a lot of the time that we have these bad so-called bad witches, they are in fact uh, just women, (laughs) Uh, just living, and then you get these labels thrown, which I, I think is exactly why it's drawn so much resonance from particularly the there was a there was an article ben that you linked that was talking about the the ways that the symbol of the witch has coincided with many of the waves of feminism and it, it's interesting that now 2020 we have such a growth in uh especially young women being drawn to the idea of witchcraft and and practicing witchcraft i remember there was a it was not too long ago this year that there was a whole scandal (laughs) when a group of young witches decided to hex the moon
1: yeah not young witches
2: tiktok witches (laughs) well
3: yeah be specific they were tiktok witches not denigrating tiktok witches you're fine
0: (laughs) they they could be techno pagans
2: (laughs) oh don't go to the techno pagans
3: i'll
0: never forget (laughs) curse you josh whedon yeah, techno-pagans was a masterstroke. Um.
3: Well, that's actually a lot of the research that I did for this episode, rather than going to film, I, I, cause I have listened, I've got a couple of podcasts I listen to on and off relating to contemporary witch interests and practices and people, and I mainly listen to those just to hear different perspectives. There's a great one mm. called uh, The Witch Wave Podcast that each week interviews a different person and how they apply their interests beliefs spirituality in relation to witchcraft to their different careers and that's fascinating because it's everyone from like drag queens to tattooists photographers gardeners business people who practice their own forms of witchcraft mm. and it, it's really it's quite a remarkable podcast to listen to as you hear all that so many different perspectives and it, it's it again comes back to that that actualization of being, and the ties to feminism of being, getting back, you know, stripping away layers that have built up primarily relating to patriarchy and mm. the modern world and getting back in touch with something more. I don't even want to say primal. It's actually, you know, one of the things I've been I, note notes was how often the battle against witches is represented as reason versus unreason. Mm. Or science versus magic, and traditionally, a lot of the, the the patriarchy is aligned with order, science, reason, logic, and women. Feminism is associated with abject, fluid, hysteria, insanity, emotions. Mm. That is, even that is a it's a it's a false dichotomy that's reinforced by the patriarchy. Mm. A lot of the actualization of us returning to that is trying to be not thinking like a machine, not thinking like numbers, to be able to go, "Mm, we're stranger than we (laughs) realise. And whether you want to class it as paranormal or not, we are these incredible balls of energy and we are bound to the energy of the universe and maybe there's something there. If you start to look at it from that perspective, even though some of these films, less so in more recent times, the The force of reason increasingly just looks like Matthew Hopkins in which find a general where it's not a force of reason it's a force of psychopathic hunger that only wants to devour and it uses logic and it uses science to take rather than to give
0: or a, a, mm. a desire to keep things as they are in a in a state of stasis and not um you know upsetting the the order of the world mm.
2: the order of the world that has been instated by the the patriarchy. dominant forces. <laughs> yeah. By the patriarchy, by the various other religions. Power forces. Yeah, yeah which which are also very strongly intertwined with patriarchy, of course. Mm. There's always something
3: in each research that I hit and start a slippery slide down and have to go, no, no, this is too much. But this time I was like, actually, this is just fine. (laughs) And it was a, a podcast called Dig, and they were doing an episode debunking the myth of the midwife witches. The idea being that midwives were targeted as witches for burning in past centuries because of their associations with medicine and healing and women's knowledge. Mm. And it was quite interesting because, yeah, it's pretty much a crock of shit that they weren't in the numbers don't indicate that they were targeted more than any other particular group and that they often would serve as witnesses because they had knowledge of women's bodies. Mm. So the the it was more that... Connecting midwives to witches as a group to be targeted fed a second wave feminist narrative very well and mm. reinforced ideas of how the patriarchy had dominated them.
0: I listened to it as well, and there was one bit in particular that is exactly what you said that I, that I actually wrote down as a note to myself, which was they said that male science automatically re- replaced the female superstitions of the old wives' tale. So their argument, or one of their arguments, was to say that the men were, the couple of times they did pursue midwives as, as witches, was to reinforce the male doctor as the authority, as having the knowledge, as being correct, if you like, whereas the women who had the real-life experience um and who had, you know, spent all these times at the home and learning about herbs and medicines and things in a in a very organic and community way were being put aside and shifted across as old wives' tale and, and dismissed.
2: Which I think is entirely why the majority of representations of witches are as old women, as the sort of inevitable end goal or end point uh, or if they live supreme that long. F- well yeah <laughs> the su- the sort of supreme embodiment of the kind of culmination of uh, the, the just having a lot of that precise precisely that women's knowledge or their old wives' mm. tale they are literally old wives, yeah, and this is the thing it's it while the it may be
3: a myth, it's not wrong, it might not have being true that there was a direct correlation but it feeds into the larger historical sociological truth of how women have been disempowered. Mm. Mm. So it's it's interesting that it listening to this it was like well it's it's very much like what we're talking about because we're talking about fictional representations and how they communicate ideas and for a long time we clearly needed a fictional representation of the midwife as witch as political criminal terrorist mm. target mm. and that that helped us process some things and ultimately probably didn't do any bad as a, as far as historical untruths go it mm. probably did some positive for quite a few people it certainly is part of what led to the development of wicker um mm. however you feel about that one of the other interesting things in that podcast i'll we'll put a link up in the show notes to it because it's a very good episode very well researched that they talked about that Margaret Murray, who was the main person who helped develop this idea of the midwife, which was asked to write the Encyclopedia Britannical article for witches in 1932 or 28, something like that, 38. And so that was, yeah, more than her book was that perspective was in however many millions of homes worldwide. So it just permeated the entire idea of what the witch could be for such a long time.
2: Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mention um, midwives, um, because it, it sort of draws a little bit of a parallel um, between. Uh, and I think we mentioned this in the last uh, podcast, but the the notion of hysteria and, and hysterical women, which again is a, for lack of a better word, medical phenomenon, um, ascribed by specifically male understandings of women's bodies and male concepts and male frameworks within which they wanted to shove (laughs) women and the the kind of i think in haxon there was that parallel between the hunting of witches and the burning of witches and the sort of more contemporary ideas of madness um Mm. so to speak
0: yes because there's nothing so terrifying as as a woman in power and not hysterical and knowing exactly what (laughs) she's doing and doing exactly what she wants regardless of anyone who gets in her way
2: (laughs) Mm. clearly must be institutionalized
0: yeah it must be institutionalized but that's why i like i like what you said earlier ben about how we've seen representations explain that You know, just because they have power, that is not necessarily automatically equates with good and bad. It has the capacity to be both. And, and I will say that I very much enjoyed Maleficent in that it told the story that we all think that we knew about her just being evil and giving us an opportunity to say, Okay, maybe there's more behind her story. Maybe there's a reason why, and maybe the people that we consider the knights aren't actually so shiny. Mm. And I wonder. I yep. haven't seen. I haven't seen um, uh, Wizard of Oz, and I haven't seen Wicked. But I assume that Wicked kind of does something similar, where it creates or generates empathy for the so-called bad witch. Mm-hmm. I assume.
2: Well, Wizard of Oz uh, doesn't. Wizard of Oz pretty much just paints. Very for a for a color film, it's very black and white about its depiction of <laughs> <laughs> um, about its depiction of of witches. Even uh, aesthetically, you know, uh, having the good witch be this personification of beauty, and then the the wicked witch of the west being a haggardly old green faced crone um so yeah i think that that one definitely contributed to but but the the fact that those green faces then got used in wicked i think yeah definitely
0: well i assume we involves telling the story of how she came to be the way that she is and, and setting up mm. whatever role it is that she has and unfortunately we haven't seen it so we can't really go in further there
3: no i wonder because there has been a general push over the last 40 years of having the shift towards monsters being anti hero mm. and having these monstrous figures that once were so alien and toxic and terrifying instead becoming the protagonists and anti heroes. And I wonder if mm. the, that, the Maleficent and Wicked, are just the tail end of. That just massively delayed because cinema sucks at giving women representation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Not discounting that it doesn't disempower them or anything, but it is an interesting way to look at them because all the boys, quotation mark, all the boys of horror got their moment to be actually the hero. And the, really the witch is the only specifically women, woman mm. horror figure. And it gets too very delayed. Backstories, yeah. giving them humanity that we can identify with. When we've already had humanity for Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford on one, and we've mm-hmm. had Frankenstein and his humanity for even longer, right. and all these in the novels. original Frankenstein, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the one where it starts, where we start to be
2: like, oh, maybe the monster mm-hmm. isn't the monster at all, and then it just kind of the Wolf and it I, springs to mind as yeah. well the Lon Chaney Wolfman right, like, remarkably yeah. tragic figure. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's just been what... a steady push towards
2: mm. that over the, the the 20th century
3: until mm. then you have, you know, Blade, as a superhero <laughs> vampire and things well, like that.
0: I was about to say, what do we think then of, of the male witch? Hmm.
3: Uh, you mean a warlock?
0: No, the men, well, I I semantics I suppose. There's there's interesting choice of semantics. They're changing the word that men can't even be witches. They have to be something else. They have to be warlocks.
2: We're not mentioning the H or the p-word. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. Simon King of the Witches.
0: Well, I only have As one an example. film. Sorry. I was going to say, I have only one film. It's The Covenant, which is a, as a, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a very campy film or a very good film, but I, I have a soft spot for it. But that is, uh, is an interesting one because they, although they never specifically correlate themselves really with witches. Oh, I suppose they do because they're, they're four, um, they're four young teenage boys, 17 year old, 18 year old boys who are descendants of other people who were um, uh, killed during the witch trials in Salem. So it is deeply rooted in that whole Salem witches, you know, Hmm. world and lexicon. But I was thinking about this, particularly in relation to some of the, um, some of the articles that we'd been discussing. And I found it very interesting because again, they really specifically choose not to get into the specifics of how their power works, um, we see them do a couple of different things. Like we see one of them fix a car. How a witch from Salem would have the ability to fix an automobile, <laughs> not so sure. But in the climax of the story, when we have two, I'm going to keep calling them witches, opposing each other, they're really just pushing these sort of shimmering balls of liquidy air that they then force at each other propel at each other and and sort of have this percussive explosion on their chests and that's sort of the extent of for some reason their active power it's very strange but but i would like to just mention them and include them as a the fact that they don't call <laughs> themselves warlocks and they are most closely aligned with witches particularly in the sense that we've been talking about
3: well, the Wikipedia article says they are descendants of colonial witch families.
0: That's the one, thank you.
3: So, it's 2006. Yes. It's made as a kind of attempt to cash in on the Harry Potter. I mentioned the HP words.
0: They uh, do reference it in the film Harry Potter Lovecraft. No, they specifically say yeah. Harry Potter can kiss my ass, okay? So, they specifically oppose Harry Potter in the context it's of the very film. Very
3: good. <laughs> That was the first thing you ever told me about this film, Steph. I, yeah, I You giggled so much when you told me that. Because
0: it was funny at the <laughs> <But> time. The
3: <laughs> it's more of a ripoff of the craft than it is Harry Potter. Mm. It's not quite the same because that's very... And, and that's actually, it's a really interesting difference between the craft and the covenant is that the craft is for young women, teenage women, who are investigating witchcraft, who are engaging with it, fresh new individuals and actualizing their powers. Whereas the covenant is four or five young men who inherit
0: they inherit. The That's it. Yeah, I was just about to say. At the part of the story is that at eighteen, <laughs> right.
3: and then they bought five rental properties.
0: Yeah, well, shush. <laughs> they have power.
2: They manifested an internship.
0: Well, it's true. They no. They what they explain is that they have power. I'm assuming as a teenager onwards, but when they turn eighteen, they inherit their full power. But the one quirk mm. of this of using the powers is that it takes a unlike most witches who consume uh, materials like, um, you know, a sacrificial uh, virgin or um, flowers and herbs and things, for them, the cost of using the magic is actually their own life force. So when they turn 18, if they've excessively used the powers that they have, they basically age exponentially. Um, so there is, a, there is a cost of it.
3: That sounds like a Republican and Liberal Party. Okay, I mean, let's not like go there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I saw uh, an oddly inverse one called The Sorcerers this week, which is another Michael... Michael Reeves only made three films before he died of a ab- barbiturate overdose at 25. One of these last one being Witchfinder General. His second film mm. was The Sorcerers, which has... Boris Karloff, and oh, I can't remember the actress who plays as his wife. Anyway, a, an elderly couple in England, and he's a hypno psychotherapist who has developed mm. a contraption that allows them to take control of another person and essentially inhabit and experience everything through that person.
2: Interesting. Hang
3: on, knocking my microphone out. Yeah, and so they can sit at a table and project themselves into him and control him and make him do the things they want so they can live as if they're young again. And mm. I watched it thinking it might be a bit more witchcrafty, but I came up being like, mm, it's one of these kind of interesting borderline ones mm. where it's mm. it's still magic. They're still mm. essentially doing, you know, they're, they're actualizing their intent and transforming reality through will. They've just welded it to a kind of... Some psycho babble, pseudoscience, and mm. it's still essentially doing many of the things that witches would do: would be making people act against their will and right. do bad deeds. Yeah, given that Michael Reeves made Witchfinder General and even his first film, the the She Beast, it's got a couple of different names with Barbara Steele, and it, that has some like curse, witchy kind of Black Sunday kind of aspects. It's a shame he died so young for many, many reasons, but he clearly had a really strong interest in witchcraft and the different forms it could take, because the Sorcerer's One, as I said, I wouldn't call it a witch film,
2: but if you wanted me to drop some witch periphery films, then the Sorcerer's Mm. is right up there.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: Thinking about what witches represent, there's always going to be parallels with other forms of or other archetypes rather and so you know when you say the sorcerers that could evoke witches or wizards um, but it could also evoke magicians yes hmm. and and you know the the notion of magic and the way that that and casting a spell and, and things like that that where you have these sort of different areas where that can come under and you know hypnosis you mentioned as another kind of form, um voodoo and zombies and, and things like that where that kind of comes into it and again using more traditional you know, the, the the original notions of zombies as being rooted in more uh traditional and othered cultures. Um so it's yeah really fascinating to see how these interplay. Mm. I have Ben, have you seen Romero's Season of the Witch? I haven't, no. one of the Romeros I haven't seen. Who watched that last night?
0: Have I seen The mm-hmm. Bucks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Has okay. Steph seen that film? No, no, you haven't. <laughs>
0: he would know. I wouldn't know. He would know because he would have made me watch it.
3: She <laughs> hasn't. <laughs> yeah, that uh, season of The Witch was Romero's third film. And mm-hmm. it's 1972. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be a really interesting peak year for witch films because another film I watched called Hex, uh, an A. Mm-hmm. Western witchcraft horror comedy set after the First World War with bikers. That was oh, yeah. sounding too as so well. Not a great yeah. film. Uh surprisingly <laughs> enough, given all those aspects crashing into each other yeah. and kazoo on the soundtrack. Jesus Christ,
2: that god, oh, that kazoo
3: is killing me. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it does have Gary Busey, Scott Glenn, Keith Carradine, yeah, Crazy Cast. Hex, th- anyway, a I, terrible I film. Yeah. It's called the shrieking and a couple other things, and it just was. I'd like to see it cleaned up. It's virtually unavailable. Uh, I, the, I was a terrible VHS rip, but it was still just like not good. Post Easy mm. Rider, like youth mm. culture mashing with spiritual hippie stuff, and it was it was just exactly everything that goes wrong when Hollywood tried to do that. Produced by Twentieth yep. Century Fox. So, anyway, I digressed. Um, Season of the Witch. So that is. Uh, very much embedded in the realm of second-wave feminism and the, mm. the rise of witchcraft in, in suburban culture with the bored housewives looking to break free of the uh, lie
2: that they had been sold.
3: I was
0: wondering their... when we get on to the housewives.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because the original title was called Hungry Wives. No, the actually, the original title was Jack's Wife. Well... But the the title it was originally marketed as I then suppose. it was released there was a hundred
3: and thirty minute cut as Jack's Wife, and then mm. it was released as Hungry Wives, and then it was released I think ten years later as Season of the Witch. Mm-hmm. And now with the Romero Okay did Blu-ray releases as Season of the Witch, but if you watch the shorter version, the title card is Hungry Wives. And if you watch the extended cut, the title card is Jack's Wife. Anyway, <laughs> digression. <laughs> 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 but Caesar the Witch is, yeah, she's the, the board housewife and the suburbs and everything. And she starts, you know, oh, you have to come over and meet such and such. Mm. She's a witch, mm-hmm. new chick on the neighborhood. There's not really any strangeness to it. It's what we actually know I've definitely known witchy people where you go, over and you're like, oh, yeah, Drigi Tarot and all that kind of thing. And it's just, there's nothing like, whoa, about it mm. at all. Mm. But the, the film does, it's very ambiguous, not just in how it deals with witchcraft, but in so many ways. Feels very complicated about a lot of these things. And apparently, there's some aspects where Romero felt that he got a bit wrong attacking aspects of the way second wave feminism was using witchcraft and things a bit too much. But I actually over time I think the specificities have been lost and the film Mm -hmm. does draw some interesting correlations between Catholicism and joining a coven that it's Mm -hmm. still essentially, you know, in this situation where you're still in the suburbs and you're just, just learning it off of whoever just moved in next door it does have cult-like aspects where you're just exchanging one series of rituals and incantations for a supposedly pre-Christian pagan one. Mm. There's a fantastic scene in it where she performs oh. her first spell and it's to, to bring a man to her to make him do her will. And hmm. then she's lounging around the house and it's not really working and so she calls him and tells him to come over, <laughs> and he does.
0: Mm-hmm. Sorry, is this before or after she has a husband? Is this a is this a cleaning boy or is this the husband?
3: No, it's not the husband. It's, it's, it's a bit on the side that I she's see. always wanted. I see. It sounds kind of you know humorous, isn't Because Romero does always have a bit of a sense of humour to it. But it's it's that duality of like, I mean, he came over; the spell seemingly worked because he came <laughs> there. But more than that perhaps performing the spell gave her the confidence and the strength mm-hmm. and to pick up the phone and just say come over mm-hmm. and so that's where again it comes back to the sort of the power of this figure is very much in that realm of being a way to strengthen which again I think is a really important way of considering the figure and a way that I think going forward the recent sort of Alterations and the uptake of it by people, I think, will become more prominent.
1: Mm.
0: Well, it's interesting because arguably the most uh, famous housewife witch, of course, uh, was (laughs) in Bewitched, and Mm. in the TV show, at least, it was all about her attempting to leave her witchy relations and habits and and lifestyle behind for her very bland and boring husband. Um, but the, the remake, the film remake with, gosh, who is it?
2: Nicole Kidman.
0: That's the one, thank you. Um, and
2: Will Ferrell. And
0: Will Ferrell as a, as a bit of a bumbling, well, he's always bumbling, but a benevolent bumbling <laughs> husband. Which I have to say, whenever I watched it, because it was one of the ones that my, my sister quite liked a lot, so I've seen it several times. The oddest thing about that film for me was the fact that when she tells, uh, I think it's, it is actually her neighbor or her co- a confidant that she is a witch. The reaction is more or less of her being like, you know, side of the nose tap to say, Oh yeah, of course you are. Or, you know, that kind of, Oh, I am too. But like, <laughs> there's no real, like, you can't tell if that's yes, because there actually are a witch or if it's because she's just like dismissing it. And, then there's absolutely no reaction to the the revelation at all. And the film continues on. And at the end of it, when husband finds out that she is a witch and jumps off the deep end of thinking, Oh, I've been under your spell and you've made me do all these things. And actually the entire film, she never does anything witchy to him. The only witchy thing she does is rearrange her house. And that's about it (laughs) for the context of the entire film. So interestingly, the remake is about, Again, not using her power, but, like, it's almost entirely absent from the film. Very weird. There's
3: a, quite a few uh, romantic comedy witch films that go that for like, Bell, Book and Candle, I Married yeah, a Witch. I Married a Witch, yeah. There's another one that I can't think of, and I can say I have seen none of them, so I can't comment on this area.
0: There was one that we did see together, the one with the husband who is a professor, um...
2: Yeah, Night of the Eagle.
0: Yes, that one. Yeah, Thank oh, you.
2: aka Burn Witch. Aka Burn. Burn Witch Burn, which was based on a book called Conjure Wife. Um, there yeah, was exactly. uh, another, there's a couple of, um, yeah, me too. Um, there's a couple of uh, other adaptations of it. One, earlier called weird woman um (laughs) starring lon chaney as the professor yeah exactly right you say Uh, fuck
3: off i'm like where (laughs) (laughs)
2: um and then the other one was in the 70s with i think richard benjamin was in it It was someone someone like that um richard benjamin it's uh just saying his name kind of hurts my soul a bit he's so dull is oh, he? Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's anyway, um, I haven't I haven't seen the I haven't seen the '70s one. Uh, it's called Witch's Brew, uh, aka Which Witch Is Which. It was from 1980. Oh, God, um, yeah, Richard <laughs> Benjamin and Terry Garr and Lana Turner. Mm, that will not be good. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but um, at least the first two I've seen, and like the the sort of skeleton of the narrative is really fascinating, and in, in that has this again. what Alluding to what we've mentioned earlier about the clashes between reason and fact and superstition. Uh, in the Lon Chaney one, uh, the, the book he writes is literally called Reason and Fact versus Superstition. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just, uh, and again, using this um, archetype of the housewife witch, the idea of this witches using their power to protect their husbands or to advance their husband's careers and, and things like that. And battling it out with each other as these kind of suburban college wives. yeah really interesting to, to, to dissect uh, in
1: in both cases. The book
2: is, the book
3: is fantastic. Mm. It's Mm. a really interesting shift there because it's kind, it's taking those elements of, the concept of the witch as a supporting, nurturing, helpful figure. Mm. But then it's also connecting it with the negative infighting of a community, which is normally mm. turned against a witch mm. because mm. you have this infighting of all the, the wives of the professors. And so... You know, it turns for the worst because he's the professor of reason. He teaches anthropology and how witchcraft mm-hmm. is hodgepodge and bullshit. And he forces, he finds all her little knickknacks around the house and forces her to get rid of them. And suddenly mm. bad things start to happen mm. to him. Mm. And it, the way that it twists those elements around is really quite brilliant. I mean, Fritz Libra is fantastic, but I was just thinking how I love Burn Witch Burn. Mm a.k.a. Night of the Eagle. Hmm. But it's interesting because when they adapted it, they kind of ha- half-welded it to a ripoff of Night of the Demon,
1: mm. which is
3: an adaptation of M.R. James' Casting the Runes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is well, has another variation on the witch narrative is more from the perspective of the victim as they suffer a curse. Mm. And Burn witch Burn, a.k.a. Night of the Eagle, does both, tries to have its cake and eat it by being... Conjure Wife for the first half and then <laughs> Night of the Demon casting the runes for the second half. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen Night of the Demon for a very, very, very long time. But again, I think that's that's it's one where it, it takes the curse. And I mean, there's, there's quite a few interesting curse films, but I was like, that was another... I mean, we could do a curse episode all in itself.
0: <laughs> oh, no, let's yeah, not go sure. there just yet. But it, it's interesting as well, though, because one of my other points of reference for witches, for better or for worse is also the TV show Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, and technically the movie that uh started the TV show as well. And admittedly, I haven't seen the, the latest The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, because to me that is not at all what Sabrina the Teenage Witch was about. But that idea that the actions of the well-meaning witch has... A lot of negative or complicated impact on the ones around her who are unaware of what she does. The TV show in particular, uh, her uh, high school boyfriend is often the punching bag of spells and incantations and such gone wrong. And uh, I think I thought it was quite funny that towards the end of the, I don't know how many seasons there were, but he does eventually find out after seasons and seasons of he can't find out he can't find out we have to convince him it was a dream and you know and then he becomes slightly more self-aware and he keeps i keep having weird dreams when i'm at your place and you know all this kind of <laughs> stuff in the end he does actually sort of find out and it's this wonderful moment for him because he's like i'm not psychotic and my brain isn't creating all of these horrific and strange things it's forced beyond me and i was just caught in the in the motion of it all.
2: Uh, talking
3: about neighbours and suburban women of a different ilk. One uh, '80s <laughs> witch film that I have to mention is the absolute classic, *Elvira, Mistress of the Dark*.
0: Oh yes, I didn't even think of her.
3: Features a male witch as its villain. Has <laughs> oh, one yeah. of the best familiars in cinema history: the 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 poodle with the. <laughs> The punk poodle, yeah. She kind of inherits her power, but it's more that she inherits the book and the ring, so she still has to find it for herself, but she does inherit it from her great-great-aunt something or other.
0: Yes.
3: Uh, But that's a a really fun one for tackling suburban witchcraft.
0: Again, the husband or the love interest is the victim of... (laughs) the other goings on <laughs> though i don't yeah, think he minds when it's elvira who's rubbing herself up against him and and there's weirdness going around you know a lot can be forgiven then
3: <laughs> he's, he's a definite himbo in that i bet someone's written some interesting articles
2: on feminism sexuality and witchcraft in relation to that film or at least i hope they
3: have
0: <laughs> well that would be
2: nice one of the more recent uh, witch films that took kind of tackle those themes and that that has seemed to seems to have captured public attention was of course the love witch which was created in such a lush colorful evocative way that i think a lot of the deeper psychological or psychoanalytic commentary about the main character of of the love witch got Not a bit lost, but I think overshadowed by its visual style. But I think at its core, there's this really, again, a really sad tale about this woman who is externalizing her anxieties and her traumas into this arena or sphere of of witchcraft rather than dealing with them in a healthier way. Um, And so I I thought that was a really novel take on witchcraft and, and the witch narrative, but also just the way that it did it and the way that it had this really self-aware kind of visual, just in general style. Yeah, it was a quite cool juxtaposition, I thought, between the actual deeper commentary. I love The Love
3: Witch, but it's been uh, quite a while since I've seen it. I've only seen it the once.
0: I wish I had seen it, and I tried to find it for this, but uh, I couldn't find it on any reputable platforms. (laughs)
3: I've seen a long time ago, Annabella's earlier film, Viva, most of it I saw, Uh, long story. Anyway, in Viva, she's very, she's tackling roles that were offered women in the 70s that I know that Annabella takes as a lot of her. She's one of those people who says, I haven't seen this, whether or not she has, I'm not going there. But uh, I know that she takes a lot of her inspiration from magazines and books of the era, like sort of self-help and all that kind of thing, fashion and Mm. whatever, home living kind of stuff, to really get an encapsulation of what was offered and sold to women as ideals and dreams and hopes Mm. and directions to move in. And so I think thinking about The Love Witch from that perspective, sort of a, a film that's a prism kind of caught between a contemporary perspective and a 70s second wave feminism perspective with Mm -hmm. new and old takes on what witchcraft means and how it's used for a woman and that it's like Seatons of the Witch it's not necessarily a instant exit <laughs> from mm. the patriarchy or your problems they're still going to be there if you haven't found a good healthy way to overcome it and to, to channel your powers and energy it doesn't matter how much powers and energy you've got if you've still fucked up they're still going to get fucked yes
0: yeah, so that's one of the mm. the i guess the morals of the story whenever it ever comes to magic and witchcraft is that Magic and witchcraft tends to make things more complicated, as opposed to the short solution that you think it is. And I'm sure there's a metaphor for life in there when you uh, when you start to dig into it.
1: <laughs>
3: Except for in my favorite witch film and one of my all-time favorite films, uh, Robert Eggers' *The Witch*.
1: Mm.
0: Well, that is a very different story of witchcraft, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it's very simple. That's part of the reason why I love it. It's it's very, the witch is very much what Ben was saying about being neither good nor bad. See so see a lot of people are going to be out there going, what? How do you ever see that as not bad? And I'm like, yeah, but uh, all these the bloody Puritans coming to America will... Awful, awful people Mm. And they deserve everything they get in that film (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of interesting things that come out of The Witch And how it represents The Witch That it is this It's not neutral But it is chaos aligned It is nature nature aligned Yeah Mm. That it's like the ant that devours another ant Is neither good nor evil Just doing whatever it needs to do to live deliciously, <laughs> to survive. We're at a higher level with a higher brain, and the goal—the goal is survival and to live deliciously. The Puritans and the the good people, the townsfolk, the family represent its own form. ...violence and destruction and darkness. It is a, you know, cultural... Um, what's, the, what's the what's that term? Cultural relativism. Mm. And I think the film does a really interesting job... ...of presenting that in a way that... It ...may not necessarily come through the first time... ...but after you've seen it a handful of times... ...more and more you start to see... ...how oddly... ...kind of neutral it is in its presentation. Mm. Um, it doesn't necessarily demonise either side. It shows that everybody does bad shit... And good shit and lives for themselves or f- for their coven or their family. Um, and it all just cycles around and shifts and moves. It's, it's not often that I really say this, but I think I, I'm, I'm far more interested in American witch films than I am in witch films from, I think any other culture. I think it is that from Europe or Asia, they're still building on these long traditions and they tend to have a more...
0: Um, more confined?
3: Lean. Yeah, a little bit more confined by those traditions yeah. and the histories and connections. There's certainly ones that sort of blow the lid off that, like um, Alex de la Iglesia's Witching and Bitching, which I'm, I still feel very conflicted about
2: that one. Yeah, I, I me to too. It. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, that was one which it's sort of, I think, uh, I, I felt like that one... Uh, Speaking of confinement, uh, really confined itself to the gender binary. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that one, (laughs) what that one ultimately says about women.
3: Yeah. I mean, the original original Spanish title is La Bruja de Zugamudi, or The Witches of Zugamudi completely different to witching and bitching but the funny thing Mm -hmm. is that the title witching and bitching does fit that film's weird conflicted gender thing yeah it it is
2: weird because because yeah the original title refers to a town which was one of the main targets for the spanish inquisition uh yeah weird that it now becomes this witching and bitching
0: makes it sound very flippant
2: yeah. Oh, it kind of is. flippant and dismissive. Yes. I, I I think as well. and and kind of in a in a weird way, like it attempts to uh, it, it it doesn't attempt to redefine anything. It it kind of treads along these lines of, Oh well, this is just what men and women are like. Um yeah. and the, yeah, that didn't feel right to me, mm-hmm. I think. Mm. But I I yeah, it's been a while, so I could be wrong.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when when we go to American witchcraft stories, there's it's kind of like a even though so many many of them fit the same kind of trope, it's a bit of like there's all bets off. Yes. Mm. you know, it's it's like the Sabrina the Teenage Witch, just like oh, I've got powers and I'm in the new world.
1: Mm. <laughs> what can I
2: do? Well, I think because as America, it it just almost by definition takes any aspect of any. Culture that it likes and then makes it its own. That's true. Which is why you have this seeming freedom of characterization and depiction.
3: Manifest destiny. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of chaos magic through all of <laughs> you. The Masons and such were tapping into chaos magic. There's a lot of accepted American traditions. Uh, and I'm not going sideways into conspiracy theory stuff. It's like <laughs> just the historical organizations that practice. Chaos magic stuff for shits and giggles or other, I don't care. But Mm. there is that connection of that kind of what we're talking about, that manifesting will.
0: But it's like you Mm. said, Ben, they they have no shame in just picking whatever, you know, cherry picking whatever Mm. bits and pieces of different cultures or traditions that they want because they have no shame. <laughs> there is no mm. filter to say, should we be doing this? It's a, uh, no, what can we get? What can we do? What <laughs> else can we incorporate to make this interesting?
2: Exactly.
3: Well, two of the witch films that I watched connected with native American.
0: Oh yes. Traditions.
3: Witchcraft. I'm yeah. saying quotation mm. marks. And one of them was really good. Eyes of fire. And one of them was really not being hex. Hmm. <laughs> hex it felt very on the nose. Like it was mm. very tasteless and very like what you were just saying about. Just like, oh that'll fit well. Let's grab that and just cram it into the film and, and she's <laughs> like using witchcraft on them, but it's she's half Native American, so it's Native American witchcraft. I was like, what? Anyway. But it made me think about watching The Witch, the the Robert Eggers the Witch. How everything in that is so white. And Puritan mm. and European, only the place that isn't even it it does look a bit European, but
0: that was accurate for the time
3: well, that's why it's interesting because it is the the witch in it isn't represent even though the witch is associated with nature and the woods, it's not associated with the land and the place that it's not American. the witch is not American, they are just these beings right when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about oh, like all of the baggage that the Puritans brought with them when they fled England and came to America. Mm. The witch in the witch is like a parasite that came with them that through their fears, they carried their antithesis, their antagonist with them and brought that to the new world so that the witch represents all the things that their very strong religion perceives as negative, And it perceives them so intensely that it manifests that the witch is actually a manifestation of their own religious doubts hmm. and fears. That they have carried this manifestation with them to the new world. And so it's this old thing that feels like it should be old to this place, but it isn't. It's something they carried with them and is just as new to that place as them, but... It has settled there better than they do. <laughs>
0: well but so that yeah. raises the question. The the Native American culture is obviously deeply rooted in a strong sense of spiritualism that is indelibly linked with nature, which we know is a very common linkage with the concept of a witch. Mm. But are the I wouldn't necessarily think that the Native American Uh, cultures and tradition necessarily equate with witches. I know Mm. that there's a, I don't know if it's the correct term, but there's a a shaman type element where we've got, you know, elders who commune with spirits, which sounds very similar to what we talk about when, what a witch does when they commune with the devil or evil spirits, I suppose. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the same
3: the only thing that I know that specifically would be a kind of connection that you're making there would be skinwalkers.
0: Right, yes.
3: That skinwalkers, we've kind of, tra- like they, I think if it's from the Navajo traditions, and they don't like to talk about them because they think that, or they believe that talking about them can.
1: Manifest bring them
3: into yeah. your world, your sphere. That skinwalkers have been somewhat associated with werewolves because they do transform mm. shape primarily into wolves, but they can be anything. But they are witches. Okay. They are what we would consider witches more than they are werewolves because they're not bound up by their curse. They like choose to take it on and they can do other things. And was it skinwalkers come a- into being by you have to cannibalize somebody? Yeah. Uh, may- might even have to be cannibal. I think there's something to do with incest or cannibalizing within the family or something like that, which is similar to some of the things you have to do in witchcraft. There's a 19. 19- 52 film from Lapland called The White Reindeer (laughs) my terrible finish
0: yeah I was going to say I'm not sure that sounded like a name
3: but more like a sneeze uh, apologies
0: everybody (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was <laughs> That was me doing the thing from uh, Day
2: of the Earth should steal Slash Army of Darkness You, know? oh, you uh, mean uh, Klaatu Barado <laughs> Nikto
3: yeah, I'm doing it when he's the Army of Darkness. Like, <laughs>
2: That's how I say all my things
3: in Finnish. <laughs>
0: okay.
3: Again, At least he doesn't sound like
0: the Swedish chef. I mean, there's small mercies <laughs> there.
3: Oh, do, you, do you want me to do my version <laughs> of no, Ran" no. by the Swedish chef? Is that no. what you were requesting? Did no. I hear that?
0: Yeah? Make your point, yeah. Fox. <laughs> Stop it.
3: Um, so, yeah, The White Reindeer is directed by a Finnish cinematographer called Eric Blom- Blomberg. And... Co-written by him and his wife, Mijami Kusmanen, who also stars as Torito, And that is a Lapland witch story. One that tends to get misidentified by non-Finnish people because she is seen with vampire-like fangs in it. And she transforms into a white reindeer to lure hunters in, who she then seemingly drinks the blood of. And so she has right. these other, like, connections of a werewolf, connections of a vampire. But in Lapland traditions, she is a witch. And right. the film states very blatantly she's a witch, and they don't use the word vampire or were, reindeer.
0: I was going to say, isn't there a type, a species of deer or some kind that has little horns and does actually, like, consume blood? I, I swear that that's a thing.
2: Um, maybe I'm making it
0: up, but I swear that that's maybe a thing. Are you thinking later. of a bat? No, no, it's actually... <laughs> I, I'm going to look it up. Keep talking, but I'll, I'll double check because I, I'm pretty sure I haven't made this up.
3: Job Bear? Is it a relative of the Job Bear? <laughs> Shh,
0: that's not it.
2: There's, a, there's another Finnish um, film from 1952 called The Witch, or Return of the Witch, um, which I haven't seen, but I'd like to... The synopsis is... An archaeological team unearths the body of a young woman who was told to be a witch buried in the bog some 300 years ago. Soon, a naked woman appears and drives the men of the willi- village crazy.
3: Ooh, I thought you were going to say they drive their willies crazy.
2: <laughs> but so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that portrayed in, in the Finnish uh, culture. But it was... It- Going back to what you you were saying, Steph, about the Native American I- idea of the shaman, yeah. the way that I, I think the, the analog that uh, w- that I've heard more closely uh, associated is just that of a priest.
0: Yes, effectively, that's their their role is, yeah, is healer and spiritual leader, yeah. guide and spiritual leader. And and,
2: spiritual leader. And, yeah. and I think this sort of goes back to what we were talking about before about how the ways that, um, in a way, a religion, Christianity, any any religion is that same sort of organized ritual, organized communal kind of talking with the spirits, and there's one designated person who is supposedly the one who talks to the spirits, uh, of whatever form that they take. And there's all these rituals that even to this day, we've taken from the, you know, the earlier pre-religious, uh, traditions. Um, and again, written in nature and, and things like that, the line gets, uh, blended more and more, I think with these, when you start digging into it and the ideas of rituals and the ideas of manifestation of the worldliness and things like that yeah, it really starts to blur.
0: For those of you who are wondering, yes, I wasn't entirely wrong. There's a species of deer called the water deer that have these very long canine teeth that look like well, very excessive vampire teeth. I, I didn't read very closely, but I don't think there was anything to do with blood, so I'm not sure where I got that from. But they have <laughs> shlong... Just the fangs. Just the fangs. Just to get us completely <laughs> off topic. I've sent you guys a photo mm. so you can have a look.
2: It's very cute.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> i definitely seem to be drawn to the ones that lean into the feminist aspect like Season of the Witch. and One of my other favourite witch films Herschel Gordon Lewis was something weird. Something weird. I was going to bring that up. I just blanked on it being even a witch film until just a couple of minutes ago. I was like, oh, of course. Mm. Yeah, something. We- I mean, it's understandable that you would forget that it's a witch film because <laughs> it's also an ESP film, a, a LSD film, film, an LSD drug trip film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's everything in the kitchen. It lives up to its title, There's doesn't ghosts. it? There's ghosts. Yeah, it is something mm. weird. It's got so much going on. I said it to uh, a friend of mine a long time ago, and we were like, is is it a feminist film? Is it accidental <laughs> feminism? <laughs> I think after a while, I was like, no, I think it is very, very firmly a feminist film, but it's the men are portrayed as shit pretty much universally in the film. Even though the, the witch is very much the typical crone hag with the... Watts and lumpy nose and everything and she has to transform into the sexy young vixen in order to attract the men you actually get the sense that she enjoys being the crone more and Mm. that she only turns into the sexy woman in order to enjoy the moment that she transforms back and the men find out who they've really been with. I'm just going to say, for
0: every woman out there, we'll completely understand that, because that means that we don't have to put on makeup, we don't have to wear bras, we can wear whatever the hell we want, and no one expects anything of us. So, in that sense, I totally agree, being a hag would be much, much simpler. (laughs) Or a crone, sorry.
2: Well, that's exactly the thing that a lot of these witch- personas uh tend to symbolize is that complete liberation from the patriarchal systems and that's exactly which the, the that's exactly what the patriarchal systems find so threatening yes. and that's why they pursue them and persecute them
0: oh and that just reminds me as well stardust is a, another one where we've got three evil witches which we haven't touched on that but that is hearkening back to that macbeth of the the number three and mm-hmm. the the I'm not sure. I mean, I think in the readings that I said two is enough to technically begin called a coven so three must also account for a coven, but that group of three witches who sacrifice others for maintaining their beauty.
1: Mm. Mm.
3: That's another that there is that aspect of the the witches who lust after power and beauty Mm, and mm. i wish to hold on to it and those do tend to be the representations that hew closest to mainstream cinema you Mm. know the disney Mm. representations Stardusts.
0: yeah they're the easiest to understand i suppose because a lot of the narratives are around those kinds of things in various forms and other it's all about gaining power
3: you can say that, or you can say that they're the films that are most women-hating patriarchal piles of crap. <sighs> <laughs> well,
2: it, on, on that note, I mean, with, you know, the uh, the idea of the old hag turning into a, a beautiful young woman in order to seduce men, I think is entirely uh, sending up, or I suppose in just, you know, a comment on uh, the patriarchal, beauty standards and oh, the course. only way the only ways in which men will notice women is when they're somehow a target for sexual dominance which i think comes into play in uh in something weird where mm. the 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 crone which uh turns into this uh, appealing young lady um for the protagonist to have his eyes on i think there's
3: certainly an aspect of narcissism in something weird as well Because the main character very early on loses his looks mm, And so part of right. the, his deal with the witch is to get his looks back himself mm. There's, I feel that it's very much an aspect of its um, themes and symbolism That it's not just that he finds the crone unappealing He needs something that reflects his own beauty back at him
1: mm.
0: Get a mirror, mate.
3: Which is an interesting...
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what all the women have to deal with.
3: (laughs) When I was watching The White Reindeer, because the opening sequence is telling a folk poem about a witch child being left with the family and raised, unknowing that she's a witch. And so she becomes the white reindeer when she's alone and missing her husband and not feeling actualized and everything and it wants more from life and she goes and meets the the old shaman or whatever to to cast a spell to make the hunters all you know fall madly for her and follow her everywhere
0: it sounds like and it the little mermaid to, to be honest
3: a little bit <laughs> and well it's a, it's all like you know it's predate. Oh, well, it's all that kind of era because it's all old european folklore stuff yeah but it, it's That, you know, it all goes awry because the psalmist's like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, shit, you're a witch. So she becomes more powerful. The spell goes weird. But I love that her wish is to be lusted after by all the hunters. And then she becomes this white reindeer who all of the hunters are like, oh, shit, i got to chase that reindeer. Look at it. Mm -mm." So it's kind (laughs) of like the something weird thing of becoming the sexy, you know, young thing that all the guys are like, Oh, massively, massively. <laughs> the, the, I don't think it's meant to be read that way, but I wasn't honestly sure. It might have been. <laughs> there could be that aspect in it. I don't know how the Lapland people joke about the icy cold wilderness and their reindeer if they do like. I'm sure
0: they've got a New pretty Zealanders unique sense sheep. of humour. <laughs> yeah. no
3: but it, it does it. It's, it's a fascinating parallel. But it was because it was like, well, they want the white reindeer as cherished above all else because it's special and you know rare and everything so they yeah. that's the real reason why <clears throat> that's the acceptable reason yeah. why they're chasing it
0: <laughs> well and that's that's one of the things that uh Buxy touched on just a little bit early when you're talking about about this about opening up that narrow mindset of okay so if we have magic and witchcraft of some form or another then why can't there also be by the same extension of logic that allows you to believe there's a witch and magic that there aren't other things as well so like vampires or werewolves or skinwalkers or uh, you know any of those classic tropes that are obviously such wonderful um and evocative images that we we love to talk about and we love to see on on the big screen as well because they all have that they're always there's always another quirk there's always another a way that they can be perceived. There's always another reimagining of something that we feel that we know.
3: I think mm. that comes back to that it's really about the self-actualization and the power of the will. Mm. It's not about
0: the form that it takes
3: or yeah. a paranormal or an something unnatural. You know, if anything, it may be close to the uncanny. If, mm. if the, such a power could alter a person, they would become something a little bit uncanny. Not quite right. But otherwise, they're still, for the most part, people... Of course, there are representations we see like Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters is an amped up version of depicting them as <laughs> monsters. Oh David my god, monstrous. I
0: completely forgot about that one.
3: <laughs> and Roald Dahl's The Witches is very monstrous feminine.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Mm. Uh,
3: but even even so, it's still a kind of uncanny. Like they're yeah. almost, they're not, they're mm. not far mm. off in both cases. So I think it's it's more just that if you feed on darkness and hate in your soul, it does age you. The witch is more, they're chewed up from within rather than being altered. Hmm. That it, it still ties it back to the sort of real world kind of stuff. And it's actually what you were saying, because I know Lovecraft was quite a, He Lovecraft references, I think the Margaret Murray book um, in one of in his stories and a couple of different stories. He references witchcraft in Europe because I know that Lovecraft was a. He one of his people that he loved reading was Madame Blavatsky, um, who wrote The Secret Doctrine, and a lot of what she was working in, in and that was the foundations of Theosophy. That was a lot of magical manifestation, things to do with masters, rays of light, energy, things like that, and so that's someone who manifested those into a. Movement and religion In the real world mm. My parents were A theosophist when I was young And I <laughs> think I'm the only one here Who could be turned into Flying ointment because
2: I was never Baptised But
1: uh, I, I was baptized. also
2: never baptised Ah no. oh, yes
3: I'm, we're I'm so Jewish why heathen? would I be baptised <laughs> I don't know How it works I just, mine was just, We were just heathens so <laughs>
0: No, no. Um I'm a heathen too.
3: The Hey yeah, hey. we should rename the podcast. The Heathen Podcast. <laughs> the um, Heathen Podcast. Yeah, let's all go full Bacchanalia. Uh <laughs> but yeah, so there is those connections between what you were saying, Steph, of like well, the the bigger picture that there's there's, there's weird more ways out there. that witchy stuff has been drawn into it and connecting things together. But I think that even when it is going kind of crazy and full on and absurdist or whatever in cinema, it still has that kind of grounding in, in, yeah. In, in, in that kind of, in the self. And again, it comes back to the kind of difference between a Satanist and a person who, who is uh, a witch, mm. I think. But uh, yeah, it's a wibbly wobbly. Line. I mean, there's even like, um, mm.
0: yeah, we haven't
3: mentioned Warlock. The, yeah. the, Julian Sands film in which Richard E. Grant chases Julian Sands across contemporary 80s America after being teleported from the 15th century or something. And that is one of the great camp classics of cinema. <laughs> and he's, he's very much a witch, a male witch in it. Mm. And I mean, but that film is completely daft <laughs> in the best, funniest kind of way.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a, it is definitely a whirlpool of symbolism and meaning and representation i think be- because it it uh captures and captivates so many different arenas of society and of you know there's belief there's otherness there's uh rejection uh, all, all just a- everything <laughs> and uh Yeah, that's that's why it's often so hard to pinpoint, and yet despite the fact that, you know, we started the podcast by saying, this is what we all picture when we say which.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's a lot more nuanced when you start to pull at those threads, and I think as well, like we've discussed, it's tricky when you start trying to draw boundaries, because when we start hmm. opening ourselves up to the supernatural and, and to magic and to forces outside of our scientific understanding, it all becomes, as you said, Buck's wibbly wobbly. You know, who really <laughs> knows? Because we, we just don't. And it's quite funny to see some films attempt to either integrate science and sort of reason or. Trying to actively ground it into a reality in a way that is just so such a strong juxtaposition of what magic kind of actually means.
1: Mm.
2: I think that yeah,
3: after the viewings I've done, and admittedly, like the viewings I've done have been odd. I've definitely not gone for anything that is more traditional. Other, than I think the witch was the closest I came, and even that's far from traditional. <laughs> uh, I think I've come away from this. Perceiving the witch, and again, it comes to this connection. It was one of the first things that came to that separating Satanist from witch. That I think the witch it really represents primal, guerrilla, terrorist, anarchist mm. kind of figure. That if there is something that truly defines a witch, it is about tearing down closed societies, breaking apart um, fixed ways of being. Mm. And it doesn't always manifest as exactly that, and it flips around as to whether that's represented as a positive or negative. But anything beyond that, that seems to be, like, the really strong core, and then when you get further away from that, it becomes a bit like, well, what is this film actually about? Is it just another, you know, a good good guy, bad guy kind of film under a different name? Um, You know, like Mm. I've mentioned Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, and I I love Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, but it it could be anything. (laughs) It could be Hansel and Gretel superhero hunters. Mm. There's nothing specifically, they're just women with powers who look like the archetype.
0: Well, by the same story, it didn't have to be Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, it could have been Sarah and Joe Witch Hunters.
3: (laughs) <laughs> well, this, actually, we, we haven't even mentioned Hansel and Gretel because this is a story that does keep coming back. I, I haven't seen the new adaptation. I've heard both good and bad things.
0: <laughs> I didn't know there was a new one.
3: <laughs> hmm. I think it, it got lost in the, the COVID shuffle here in Australia and just hasn't come out. Sure. Um, but, there's, but that's one that really does keep returning in odd ways because of something like mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter. And then this new version, which has been described as kind of like A24 doing a Hansel and Gretel style witch film. But the, <laughs> I'm gonna definitely cut that sound. Keep it in. I don't care. <laughs> well, my whole spine went. Ugh, that sound. Uh,
2: the... Do you want me to do a better one?
3: <laughs> oh, the tales from the dark side, the movie, which I have to mention because that has uh, Debbie Harry as a witch. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the wraparound story for that is Debbie Harry as a witch Preparing dinner for her coffin or some such And she's got the the young boy who she's got in a cage And is trying to fatten him up to cook him And it's her prepping the kitchen And him reading stories from her big scary monster book And that's the, <laughs> the, the wraparound for the three stories And it's really fun, it's really great And it's totally channeling that Hansel and Gretel kind of energy And just Debbie Harry is amazing as the witch in it because we can't go a week without mentioning cannibalism. You can. The Hansel and Gretel story. (laughs) We can. Goes ties in the cannibalism connection, (laughs) which might be one of the reasons why it keeps returning. The the cannibalism and witchcraft is connected in some traditions. Um, I'm pretty sure Baba Yaga, the the Russian Mm. witch, I think she was a cannibal. There's a fantastic film called Baba Mm. Yaga from the 70s that has pretty much nothing to do with the Russian myth, but it's still a good witchy film. When I was watching uh, which one The Witch with the animal kind of connections and totems and the way it's shot and everything and I've been re-watching the Hannibal series. It was striking how many connections Hannibal has to like Hansel and Gretel and witches and animal totems and familiars and all these kind of odd Connections. I got me thinking about Hannibal as a modern male version of the. Uh, so we say a kitchen witch.
0: <laughs> oh, very much kitchen. <laughs>
3: yeah, definitely a kitchen witch. But even the, you know, people say like he you know casts a spell over them that he he has this way of making people do what he wants and to to fall for his lures. And it's interesting because he combines those that he sits on the rational reason side.
1: Mm.
0: Well, because if being he was the, the devil or, or Satan, then he would be the rational because he knows of his own right. existence. So he's confident mm. in, his own, in his own truth, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's interesting that you bring up Satan as a figure because that could, you know, we could go in for another entire episode on that. But, you know, since we're sort of touching on witches and, and Satanism, but Satan as a figure being the very... Cold, calm, rational seductive,
0: charismatic, yeah
2: And yet charismatic, Mm -hmm. exactly So I think possibly, you know Hannibal is almost like a satanic figure Rather than a a witchy figure Mm. Maybe
3: But there's also the the splitting in relation to Hannibal We'll have to do a whole episode on this Because the splitting in relation to Hannibal From the Ed Gein myth is really fascinating Mm. But the splitting hidden in the Hannibal series Is that rational versus emotional being Will being the emotional one but he has some of these properties that witches have of this kind of empathic, almost ESP kind of perception of the world.
0: And being accused Mm. of being hysterical.
3: He's also accused of being hysterical, (laughs) that he has all the dogs and he lives out in this wilderness and he's the one who has these properties, like like the witch figure is split in half of the knowledge and the traditions and the reason and the science which was stolen from them by the patriarchy is split off into Hannibal. And then, but also the monstrousness is split off into Hannibal, while all the more positive, nurturing, empathic qualities that were the ones that have been largely shut out from popular culture are split off into Will. Mm. And, yeah, it was one of those just tangible thoughts where I'm like, I don't know if they meant this or not, but there are a lot of correlations.
0: Yeah, it's an intriguing connection to draw.
3: I think we are pretty much ready to wrap up. Mm. Uh, We've got our video recommends to say, but I do, I've got this video sitting here next to me and more people need to know this tagline. So I have to tell you the tagline for it. It's not a great film. It's okay. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon. (laughs) It's called Mark of the witch, 1970, not particularly notable American witch film, but it has one of the greatest taglines in cinema history. And the tagline for Mark of the witch is on campus. Some burnt draft cards, others burnt witches. (laughs)
1: okay (laughs) wow
3: yeah yeah it's like great that is just like that is a tagline in the half what that little
2: shirt (laughs) (laughs) oh god
0: it just i'm sorry that just goes to show that anything that you say in that like announcer voice you can kind of get away with
2: (laughs) (laughs) totally you can say absolute
0: gibberish but if you say it in that confident announcer like you know, deep register voice, yeah, you can get away with whatever you want.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have actually listened to the, the drive-in episode yet, but I did a little solo bit to introduce it, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that my solo radio voice is just me channeling Adrian Barbeau from The Fog. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely talk some gibberish there, but that's fine. Uh, did you have any last thoughts or anything before we do our wrap-up?
0: Uh... Don't judge a witch by its cover? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you got to say it in the voice, Steph.
0: No, I'm not doing the voice. I don't have a deep register <laughs> voice. I can't get away with that shit.
3: <laughs> don't, don't judge a witch by its cover. Why did they partly turn into Sean Connery? Mm. Yeah, that was
2: rude. <laughs> ben?
3: <laughs> final
1: thoughts?
2: Uh, what? Uh, I, um, less final thoughts and more just, like, a few titles to drop. I know Ben's got a title to drop that you can watch on YouTube. Um, I thought I'd just fling around some titles that, uh, I think should be more seen. Perhaps, um, oh, shit, we didn't even mention The Crucible. Anyway. (laughs) I haven't read The Crucible, so. Uh, You should have put that up in the Witchfinder part. Mm. Ah uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, just a few films. Wait, hang on. Uh, Did I say I've never seen The Crucible? I have never read, viewed, or played back The Crucible. <laughs> well, I, I, I've read The Crucible and I've seen two adaptations of it, but one of which was made in France and was uh, adapted by Sartre. Anyway, uh, so the fir- first of the titles I wanted to just mention it was fairly recent. It's called I Am Not a Witch by Rungano Nioni. And it's uh, about an eight year old girl who's convicted of witchcraft and she's sent off to live with a group of women who are also witches and just exploring all sorts of issues to deal with that. Another one is The Witch's Sabbath by Marco Bellocchio, kind of tying into the ideas about psychiatry and witches where a woman who's been accused of murder claims that she's a witch and she's being interrogated in a, uh, in a mental institution. Those two, I would really quite recommend as, uh, as some witchy films. And then, uh, one more, which Ben would probably argue is a Satanist film, not a witch film. But anyway, um, it's called the brotherhood of Satan from 1971 directed by, Bernard Macaviti not really sure what stuff he's done, but it was produced and written by LQ Jones, a kind of staple character actor from the 60s and 70s and starring LQ Jones and Strother Martin. It's this weird kind of almost, I hesitate to use the word Twin Peaksy, but it's this Twin Peaksy kind of town where uh, nothing is as it seems and then kids keep disappearing. So yeah, those are some recommendations of titles to seek out. And yeah, don't judge a witch by its cover.
0: (laughs) And I will not recommend uh, The Covenant because it's not really a great film, but it has a soft spot in my heart. So I don't give a shit if you think it's crappy. And I mean that to anybody who's listening, but I certainly wouldn't go seeking it out if you haven't seen it because it's not really worth it
3: <laughs> if you're out there and you're a the covenant fan tweet us at <laughs> podcast vortex or email us at video aus at gmail.com that's video vortex A-U-S, one word at gmail.com and show your support to steph that you love Hunky, yeah. early 2000s gothic trash.
0: Actually, I would be really curious to know if anybody else but me saw it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we we also didn't talk about Hocus Pocus. No, oh, we didn't. Or we brought up Nicole Kidman and... Oh, no, wait, was she in Practical Magic? I don't know. I never saw that either. Uh, we didn't I think be, that was she several. is. Was she in
0: this? Yeah, I think she is. And we didn't talk mm. about the Adams Family either. I'm talking yeah. about...
3: Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of pan like none of the grandma kind of is but anyway, it's not really there's cool lots about. of
0: things that we didn't get
2: around A- to and touching. somehow did also didn't talk about Suspiria yeah uh, number one horror <laughs> film of all time <laughs> or
0: Blair Witch <laughs> for its
2: Blair, you know, Blair Witch yeah absolutely yeah. Pumpkinhead oh. Inferno or Mother of Tears yeah. yeah Well Mother of Tears Probably didn't mention For good reason well, But
0: We could probably do A whole nother podcast On all the films That we meant to mention Absolutely. But we didn't So let's not get down That rabbit hole
3: <laughs> Given how many films Had cars in it We didn't feel the urge To suddenly oh, go yes. Here's all the car
2: films We didn't mention yeah, But it's but... suddenly like oh shit,
3: oh shit But it's because There are so many Really interesting Cool mm. witch films it's And true. they are a little bit of a It's a sub-genre That is really I think only started To take a real focus in the last 10 years and you know the 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 resurgence of interest and and suspiria is a prime example of that Mm.
2: two things coming out soon that are like really heavily rooted in this which are the sequel to the craft and um a Mm. re-adaptation of Doll's the witches with
1: anne hathaway Of um so
2: it's like just boom boom which which
0: yeah it's true
3: When I was hunting for uh, our Vortex recommendation, uh, Vortex rewind recommendation, (laughs) that was a rewind sound. Uh, When I was hunting for that, it was really hard actually, because I was like, oh, Hex, I'll dig out Hex, because it's completely forgotten and nobody's ever going to see it. And it was not good. And the copy on youtube was awful so don't look up x mm-hmm. and then i was trying to look out for other things and i hadn't seen any of them and i was just like oh maybe not but it led to some fun ones where i was like oh i've never seen that but i should so the two i'll mention i haven't seen so i cannot vouch for them uh satan's school for girls I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want to see satan's school for girls
0: sounds like sounds an right. instructional video to me like one of those
3: yeah <laughs> Uh, 1973 TV movie starring Pamela Franklin. Oh, and yeah, I haven't mentioned Necromancy either. Or even Rosemary's Baby, that's kind of Satanist. Stop uh, it. Necromancy's great. That's Pamela Franklin as well. And that's basically like a weird (laughs) mashup of Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby, both R 11 books, uh, with Orson Welles in the American countryside with witchiness. It's really fun. But Satan's School for Girls sounds fun-ish as far as, you know, if you like... Dodgy 70s TV movies, who doesn't? Evil is what they teach at <laughs> Satan's school for girls. And the other one is The Worst Witch, which I also haven't seen.
2: With Tim Curry?
3: Yeah, oh, it's a I, 80s I know that 80s television but... special.
2: I, I, I watched um when, because they made that into, like later in the 2000s, they made that into, uh, or maybe it was the late 90s, they made it into a TV show. Um, and mm. I remember watching that as uh, as a kid. After that, I thought that was like it was it was nice. It was sweet. It was charming.
3: Yeah, well, the the worst witch is also Phizaria Bulk, who is one of Farooza the Balk. witches in the Craft. Phizaria Bulk yeah. made the worst witch in eighty six and the Craft in ninety six. So that's a nice little well, there you go. bit of something. And yeah, Tim Curry sings a song about Halloween in the Worst Witch, huh. so I really should watch it. Apparently, it's not good, but worth it for all of those other reasons.
2: Yeah. And there's also, just looked up, and uh, the film Witchcraft from 1964, also with Lon Chaney, uh, is available on YouTube. So check that out. It's oh, pretty good. There you go.
0: And we could be here all night discussing all the so films that we meant to mention. So
3: Vortex Rewind recommendation there this week go. is Eyes of Fire from <laughs> 1980-something or other, from 1983... It is an American independent regional horror film that is a lot. It is really odd that this one hasn't been released on DVD or Blu-ray yet. Especially after The Witch, it has a lot in common with The Witch being sort of puritanical society, leaving the community and going out into the wilderness and they end up trapped. And one of their group is a witch of their traditional European variety. It has very much a, a regional horror vibe that it is a little bit play-like in some regards, in regard to the acting and such. But it's also a bit of a special effects extravaganza. There's some really remarkable, if slightly primitive, special effects in there, but also some really hallucinogenic, psychotropic effects. And it is an odd amalgam. I rewatched it again last week in preparation and just really impressed by it. There's really not a lot like it coming out of America in the 80s and I really hope that it gets a Blu-ray release someday because watching my burnt-out old VHS, you can see that they beautifully shot and there's some really quite unsettling stuff in there. Pure real nightmare imagery, things like the kind that just get under your skin and stick in your head. So yeah, Eyes of Fire, I highly recommend that. We'll put a link up that is available as a VHS rip on YouTube that is not too bad if I remember correctly. Um so yeah, that, that's a good witchy one for this spooky season.
0: And so we will close tonight's circle of the video vortex coven. Thank you all for your time and wish everybody well. And it goodbye from Brother Bucks.
2: Have a spooky one.
0: <laughs> and Brother Ben.
2: Zub zip zab zb zab
0: And me, your high priestess, Steph. Take care, everyone, and have a good night. (laughs) Trust the boys to end that with a spooky laugh.
2: (laughs) You could do one, too.
0: No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good.
3: Yeah, the fear of the unknown gives my butt pause, but then I realize how powerful and unique I am and we pound
2: enthusiastically. It's just exhausting to have to keep up with. The Psycho Babble. Pounded in the mental butt by the Psycho Babble of Rony. That's right. Thanks, Chuck Single. Oh wait, hang on, that's right,
1: recording. Let's record, ah, uh, that's, well, hang on.